Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And look, BetOnline, it is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. You can find reviews and news for every single league, including Major League Baseball. I don't know, this little thing called the NFL, the NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting props to even futures. So what are you waiting for? Head to BetOnline today. Use that promo code and join up and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus if you use promo code believe 50 b-l-e-a-v-5-0 perfect time with the nfl season now back right around the corner remember it's bet online where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming back into the pod i'm so excited to have this guest return onto the podcast today because we are doing an exclusive today it is the anniversary the one day anniversary is we're recording on a saturday september 10th of the spygate saga the new england patriots spygate saga that began in 2007 it's the 15th year anniversary so who better to bring back and go on a deep dive with me than returning guest kevin bryant he is the author of spies on the sidelines the high stakes world of nfl espionage and he's back to talk all about it kevin so happy to have you back on the pod how are you Hey, doing great, Joey. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, I'll be honest. You mentioned this about coming back on the pod, which made me feel so good. I mean, you're, you're on so many different outlets, radio, podcasts. Uh, the sky's the limit for you right now. And you chose this podcast to come back and do a little bit of a deep dive. Um, it is funny that we now look back on this a little bit. And so much has happened in the NFL in the 15 years since this kind of take this sort of took place. But is it fair to say that in 2007, September 9th, when the Spygate started, did it start this new version of how we cover the NFL, how we look at the NFL in terms of the information, the character that is Roger Goodell, the villains that are the New England Patriots? Was there a time before this? Because I, I sort of feel like this kicked <laughs> off a whole new era of how we look at the NFL. Yeah, it really did. I mean, it opened up a lot of eyes, I think, is what happened. So... You know, and mine as well, right? So uh, Spygate was one of the big events that got me interested in this subject and wondering just how much spying goes on in the NFL. And I think it did the same for a lot of people. Um, you know, given my background with collecting and protecting information for the Department of Defense, having a master's degree in intelligence studies, you know, I probably got a little bit more wrapped up in it than everybody else. Um but, you know, I mean, yeah, what a fascinating, uh, fascinating subject and a fascinating time. I think, you know, the whole world was sitting there, you know, on the Internet for two, three hours a day, reading up everything they could possibly find about Spygate back at the time. And, um, yeah, it certainly is. It's one of those things that you're like, yeah, this was the NFL before Spygate. And we're in, you know, post the post Spygate era now. And so much has happened since, right? But it does feel like this odd, strange inflection point in terms of how we consume our sports and our news. I just remember the 1998 steroid saga that happened in Major League Baseball. There was two sides of the fence. One side, I was a Chicago Cubs fan at the time. So I was on the side of reading those two or three hours at the time saying, this can't be true. We're getting railroaded here. This can't <laughs> be possible. This isn't happening. And you have that other side that is just dining out on what you would call chicanery and what you would call espionage, spying uh, with the New England Patriots because they had been so successful so, for so many years. 
And now this was the moment where people get to knock the New England Patriots off the mountaintop. So if we can, before we get to September 9th, 2007, can you please provide my audience a little bit of a background of, in your opinion, is there a ground zero for the New England Patriots organization when this began? Um, did it happen months before 2007, or was this happening um, sometime prior to that? Yeah, so everything, you know, Spygate was essentially the Patriots taping signals, uh, primarily de defensive signals of other teams. And this is something that began as, basically as soon as Bill Belichick took over as head coach of the Patriots. Okay, so starting in the preseason of 2000, <laughs> the Patriots were involved in this, right? And which really makes me wonder because there's, you know, whenever you talk about Bill Belichick, really you gotta, you're talking about two people, okay? You're talking mm. about Bill Belichick and you're talking about Ernie Adams, okay? And everyone's like, who the heck's Ernie Adams? Well, Ernie Adams is Belichick's buddy going back all the way to high school, okay? And he's in charge of special projects for the Patriots, okay? And those special projects are, by and large, gathering information on other teams, okay? And this guy is a genius. He's a savant. He's, he's got, you know, photographic memory. He's incredible. And he worked with Bill Belichick when they were at the Browns, when, when Belichick was the head coach of the Browns, which very much makes me wonder, did all of this begin, if this started basically day one with the Patriots, did it really start with the Patriots or had this been going on with the Browns before Belichick even took over, uh, you know, in new England? Yeah, that is, that is another really interesting question. Cause there's a couple of threads that tie together, right? The first thread is the clear one of how bill Belichick worked under bill Parcells with the giants in the eighties. The coach before bill Belichick with the Patriots was bill Parcells. I'm not really connecting that thread, but I'm connecting the thread that maybe you're talking about a little bit and maybe you can, I don't want to armchair Bill Belichick too much here, but is there an element of the failure that he kind of experienced in the 90s that maybe led him in this direction? Or maybe just based on all the research and work that you've done, that this is kind of in Bill Belichick's DNA and it's always been there and it always will be there. You know, was there something that made him turn maybe in this direction? Or is this maybe always been a part of the way that he prepares so diligently for games? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so... I'd love to go back. I should go back and look through the coaching tree that Bill Belichick came up through because what you'll see oftentimes is that these guys that are involved in spying um, and, and, and willing to, you know, I mean, all teams are gathering information on their opponents. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of, are you willing to engage in those controversial or illicit techniques that most team that a lot of teams aren't. Okay. So what I will say is that, throughout the history of the league, you'll see guys like, well, Belichick's probably a decent example. Okay. So, you know, Belichick was a big fan of Al Davis. Okay. And mm. Al Davis, of course, is known to have, you know, been one of those guys willing to exceed the, the boundaries. And who did Al Davis used to be an assistant coach for? Sid Gilman underneath the chargers. Sid Gilman was one of those guys. Who did Sid, you know, Sid Gilman work for? I don't know, but I imagine you're probably going to tie it back to some big names that were also involved doing this stuff, maybe a Paul Brown or something like that. You know, so it really, you can see where the guys pick it up um, along the way. Um, so, you know, being a big Al Davis fan, I got to imagine, you know, um, 
probably did, you know, knowing Bill Belichick and doing his homework, he probably studied a lot. What makes Al Davis a successful coach and a successful owner? And for a long time before Al Davis kind of became a joke in the NFL, mm-hmm. um, he was hands down the best guy in the business. And you want to talk about a guy who knew, you know, personnel better than anybody in the league, who knew how to gather information on opponents better than anyone else, who was willing to go to crazy extremes like sneak inside another team's locker room and pretend to be a reporter to ask the questions that he wanted to ask, right? So, you know, that, yeah, I mean, Belichick, obviously, you know, I mean, he's, he's picking up along the way. He's reading, he's studying, he's probably getting it from coaches he used to work under. Yeah, and of course, you always have – you have the cliched examples, right, of, um, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you'd read in these old biographies and the old books of, you know, sometimes the opposing team would send pretty girls to the lobby just to hang out for the players to maybe try and, <laughs> to try and distract them or maybe send them an extra uh, bottle of whiskey or something like that at a dinner table when they're on the road. Um, that's always been a cliche in Chicago of that the opposing team always eats so well and has such a great time sometimes it gives us this little unseen home field advantage and it feels like that that's something that bill belichick spent a lot of time trying to tap into and eventually it began to kind of morph into you know maybe a little bit more of as we talked about in the previous pod a little bit more of a gray area can you talk a little bit about now this came out during the spygate um during the Spygate investigation but let's just sort of we're going to go chronologically here can you talk about the 2000 super bowl Patriots versus Rams Um, catch our audience up a little bit in terms of what we know about that situation. And also I would love to have you comment on the fact that this information didn't come out until 10 years later and how that kind of fits into a little bit of the narrative of how the NFL goes about its business, how NFL teams and espionage go about their business. Um, So, so what exactly happened with the, with the Patriots in 2000 that they are allegedly accused of doing? Right. So it's 2010. Okay. Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh, who's a former Patriots videographer comes out and says, Hey, I've got the smoking gun that basically, you know, I I can prove the Patriots were involved and, uh, you know, taping in another, uh, well, at least a lot of people believe he's got a tape that shows that the Patriots taped, uh, the practice leading up to the Super Bowl." Okay. And, versus- and, very, and very quickly, in 2010, that is probably a VHS tape, correct? <laughs> right. <laughs> Most <Right>. likely. <laughs> so everyone's really excited. He's got to find excited. a VCR. Can yeah, we find every- a VCR? <laughs> right. So everyone's really excited. They're like, all right, finally, we can pin it on the Patriots. Okay. So the interview takes place. Roger Goodell comes out and he's like, hey, basically, uh, yeah, I got nothing for you. Um, as a side note, okay, which was very much downplayed. Um, yeah, okay, a Patriots official happened to watch the, the practice leading up to the game. But there was no tape in it, and we're all good here, nothing to see. Okay, so going back to 2000. All right, so what Bill Belichick really wants to know is, how are the Rams going to utilize Marshall Falk, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a future Hall of Fame running back, complete stud, and the Rams are planning to use him in a few unconventional ways that they haven't for the majority of the regular season, such as returning, returning a kickoff, throwing some balls out to him um, in the flats, 
where he can get some space to run because everyone knows that, you know, they're like, okay, Patriots are going to crowd the line of scrimmage, try to stop Marshall Falk. And, and so we're going to try to get him out into space. So, um, you know, the Patriot, we go to the walkthrough before the Super Bowl. Okay. The Patriots do their walkthrough, followed by the Rams doing it. Okay. Now, the Patriots staff leaves the field, goes into the locker room or wherever they go, except for a few, a few people. Okay. Which are not key members of the, of the Patriots staff. You know, it's a videographer. We got Matt Walsh, videographer, right? So the, according to the NFL, the, the Rams were well aware that these Patriots employees who were dressed in Patriots attire were there, hmm. but the Rams don't kick them out. And so these people see the walkthrough, they see how the Rams plan to utilize uh, Marshall Falk for the Super Bowl. And Matt Walsh, who is one of them, goes back to the hotel and debriefs the Patriots defensive coordinator of everything that he just saw. As a result, the Patriots are ready for everything. Uh, they pull a stunning defeat on the Rams, who are very heavily favored. Um, and everyone's like, man, and the Rams are just left wondering, how the heck did this happen? It seems like they were like, they were in our huddle. Because they yep. knew, you know, we hadn't practiced these, we hadn't used these plays all year, and yet they still seemed to know exactly what was coming. And they did, because they watched a practice. And this is something that, you know, it, whether the Patriots take practices or not, and there's some anecdotal evidence that they, they may have, uh, this is something watching other teams' practices that the Patriots have a bit of a history of. It goes and extends beyond... Uh, just Spygate in this Rams practice. Um, actually, Bill Pelichick's son was later found out doing the, the same thing later on uh, by another team who was like, hey, what are you doing here hanging out? Get the heck out of here. So um, it's just as good as watching, is taping a practice pretty much. You know, even though it wasn't, the bottom line is, yes, the Patriots sat around, they watched another team's practice, and they got a big game day advantage from it. Yeah, well, the old phrase is uh, getting the opportunity to read the opponent's mail. Um, and that's that's the opportunity that they got to have. And, and what I love about this 2000 story is, for me, it kind of humanizes Bill Belichick a little bit for me. And here, here's what I'm trying to get at with that is that, you know, when we think uh, when we think of someone that cheats, we obviously think of the nefarious side of someone that maliciously wants to uh, not do it in a clean way. But the thing about the 2000 and people have to understand with the with the with the St. Louis Rams at that time. They were called the greatest show on turf, and many people for weeks at a time leading up to the Super Bowl were asking themselves the question, is this the greatest offense that we have ever seen in the NFL? Kurt Warner went to the Hall of Fame, Marshall Falk, as you mentioned, Isaac Bruce, many, many others on that team. And for Bill Belichick to be able to deploy this tactic and have it work and him go, holy shit, this worked on the greatest stage. That's the bite of the apple, and that's what makes him human, in my opinion, of he bit that apple, that temptation, and it worked in the greatest situation possible in one of the biggest underdog games, as you mentioned before. And I, that's the thing. You see it in a lot of movies. You see it in Scarface. Once you do it, you can't stop, right? Like You just have to <laughs> kind of keep going. And that's such an interesting um, way of also talking about what he did with his son, right? Because now it's a part of the teaching. Now it's a part of the, the gospel of being raised as a particular coach. Um, and I find that to be so fascinating. So let's move forward here and let's get to the meat. Let's get to the entree here of September 9th, 2007. 
Can you walk the audience through what was happening in the weeks prior that led to this discovery that the general public finally got an opportunity to know about? Right. So, you know, to really understand it, you've got to go back to 2006. And mm. um, so the Patriots were, uh, you know, they've been involved in taping opponents' signals all the way back from to 2000. But in 2006, for the first time, we're at least aware that opponents started to notice this. Okay. So Green Bay and the Giants both picked up on this and reported it to the NFL. And as a result of this, the Ray Anderson memo came out, which finally said, hey, teams can no, are no longer allowed to videotape the signals of opponents during games. Up until that time, um, this, it was actually permitted. It was allowed. And teams did it. And the Patriots were buying, they were not the first team to do, do this. You know, Jimmy Johnson admitted doing this um, with the Cowboys. He said that he heard this tip from a, um, a scout that was with the Chiefs like 15 years before that. Um, mm. I know there's a story that relates to the Bears um, going back. I can't remember if they used it or they were the, um, you know, they had it used against them, but it's been around forever, right? Yeah. So, but the Ray Anderson memo comes out, the, and then the and then in 2006, the Patriots are caught doing it a second time. Another memo comes out by the NFL. You still can't do it. But the NFL still, they're not punishing, right? Then in 2007, for the opening, opening game of that season, the Patriots are facing off against the Jets, okay? And Eric Mangini is the new head coach of the Jets, who was formerly the defensive coordinator of the Patriots. And he is well aware of what the Patriots do with videotaping these signals. And so he calls up Belichick and says, hey, Bill, hey, I know what you guys do, and you're not doing it here in New York, okay? Don't want to see it. Well, Bill Belichick decides, ah, you know, who are you to tell me what I can and can't do, <laughs> right? And so he says, we're going to do it anyway, right? Uh, ostensibly, because that's what the Patriots end up doing. And, but the Jets are ready, okay? They know who to look for, obviously, because Mangini's been part of the organization. And they, cat, they catch Matt Estrella, um, a Patriots videographer, in the act. But instead of stopping him right away, what they do is they let him go ahead and tape. Go ahead, you know? And so they give him enough time to basically be able to hang himself, okay? And then the Jets' security, um, they, they manage to detain Matt Estrella and Wells confiscate the tape, who they then turn over to NFL security and say, hey, he, this guy's yours. <laughs> um, and yeah, NFL goes in and they review everything and, you know, find sure enough, yes, this guy still was doing it. So I say that, you know, for a few reasons. What I will point out is that without going into all the aftermath of this is that ultimately the Jets did not trust NFL security to handle this. The Jets <laughs> said, you know what? We are going to detain him. We are going to get the tape. And deal with this because you know what the NFL has a long history of just sweeping stuff under the rug because they don't want a big scandal. And the Jets were like, no, 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 no. This you are going to address this and deal with this. And they didn't leave the NFL another option. Mangini's a really fascinating character for me. And if we can stay on him for just a second. So in your opinion, 
and 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 as you've dove into this and and you and you've written the book Spies on the Sidelines: The High Stakes World of NFL Espionage, uh, available anywhere right now. By the way, just saying, um, with Mangini. It feels like, you know, we always hear all the time in the NFL that the NFL is a good boys club, right? That everybody kind of more or less knows everybody. There's a fraternity that goes on. Right. And and previous to Mangini, if I'm incorrect, you know, I believe Romeo Cornell out of the Patriots tree got a job. Charlie Weiss got a tree out of the Patriots job. Clearly, they probably knew that what was going on. I know, you know, Cornell definitely played against the Patriots. In your opinion, was Mangini... A dissenter in against this concept of a good boys club, um, in your opinion, or was he trying to play nice and be loyal while also obviously trying to protect his own competitive advantage of trying to win games? Well, he was trying to be a good, you know, Patriots uh, disciple, so to speak. You know, that's why he called up Belichick and said, "Hey, mm -hmm. Bill, I know what goes on, man. He, I'm not, he's not trying to rock the boat with him stopping it forever. He's not going to report it to the NFL. He's simply saying, "Look, not here against my Jets." That is all he was saying. Okay? And Belichick Belichick just had the hubris sure. to say, "Sure, Eric. Sure, Eric. Right, we won't do anything." To say, <laughs> no I, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah. you know, and, and Mangini later stated, "You know, I never wanted to get here. I never wanted it to blow up as big as it did." You know, and he, he didn't. And I think the phone call was proof of that. And I think the Patriots just pushed the envelope. The Ray Anderson memo. Nope, not going to listen. The next warning by the NFL. Nope, not going to listen. Shred the it. Phone yeah. call from Mangini. Don't care, you know, and so the Patriots have nobody to blame but themselves. And what is also funny now, look, Eric Mangini um, had difficulty connecting with players, didn't win a lot of football games. But I do find it kind of interesting just a little bit that, you know, typically when a guy loses a head coaching job, you kind of cycle through defensive coordinator stuff for years and years and years. And honestly, he did not have a very long career in the NFL. He ended up on TV for a while, and I'm not exactly sure what he does now with his career. So, And we do know that Belichick now, over these pa past couple off-seasons, holds incredible sway among the coaching, uh, the coaching world of the NFL. Um, so I, I want to ask you, so September 9th, this news comes out, 2007. And forgive me, I forget the date off the top of my head, but it is several days right before Goodell makes any sort of statement or the NFL makes any sort of statement about their reaction to this type of news. In your opinion, uh, you know, or did you, were you able to uncover what is kind of happening behind closed doors during that time? Like the news story comes out, there's this gap between the statements and the news story coming out. What is going on with the owners at this time? You know, what, where is Robert Kraft with this? Who is he on the phone with right now? Because they have to figure out a way to not just deal with this in-house, but also deal with this optically among, you know, among the press. Right. And that became the big question for the NFL is how do we deal with this optically for the press? So, um, yeah. So the news breaks, the NFL is like, Oh, okay, man, the jets forced our hand. We've, you know, we've got a story. It is out. And what the heck do we do with it? And frankly, the NFL wants to deal with this as quickly as possible. Okay, because the longer it's in the news cycle, the worse it looks for them. So Roger Goodell goes right to work. So he, he calls up Bill Belichick. Says, Bill, what the heck happened? What's going on? And Bill basically admits to everything. He says, yeah, we've been, you know, 
we, we did we did this um and so Goodell, you know but you know Belichick said oh I thought we were okay to do it um you know and well I think that's you know obviously a bunch of malarkey um in his defense okay there is no rule or bylaw still that prevents teams from videotaping other team signals still to this day to this day there is a memo so you know if you're a lawyer okay if you're a lawyer and you get arrested for let's say um i don't know you know um driving 30 miles an hour, okay, or driving 50 miles an hour in your town, okay, and the police arrest you, but you're like, hey, there's there's no law against driving 50 miles an hour, you know, there's no law against speeding in my town. There's just a memo. So as a lawyer, I would go, well, you don't have a law. This is just a stupid memo. I, I don't care what your memo says, right? Um, wow. And which is basically what Belichick said. Like, okay, great, you put out a memo, but there's no rule against it. So I'm still good, right? Um, well, in the NFL, Roger Goodell is king. <laughs> so, you know, he basically enforces things as he wants, which is what he did. Um, but so, yeah, they have this conversation. He's, Belichick admits that he's, yes, I did this. And Goodell issues the punishment about two days later, which says that the Patriots are going to be fined a first-round draft pick. Um, Robert, um, Bill Pelichek will be fined 500,000 and the Patriots will be fined 250. I may have those fines reversed, but, um, and then that's it shows shows over. Like this is behind us. Okay. Is the NFL's policy. Okay. We, we like, we're done talking about this. Yeah. I have uh, I have a quote here from Bill Belichick, um, in an article that was, uh, uh produced by ESPN. Belichick said, uh, I misinterpreted the rule, and I take responsibility for it. Even though I felt there was a gray area in the rule and I misinterpreted the rule, that was my mistake, and we've been penalized for it, um, which pretty much is in line with what you basically just said. Um, you know, During this time, are the, owners, um, are the owners upset, or is this more of like uh, this is just kind of uh, disrupting the apple cart? This is just – this is uh, – this is – helping us slow down the money-making machine, let's just go away. Are the owners mad or anything like that, or is this more of like, this is just disrupting business? Right. So the NFL is like, this is disrupting business, let's move on. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. And they figured, you know what? Everybody else in the league probably feels the same, right? Let's just keep on making money. Um, no, the rest of the league did not feel the same. And, you know, you've got the Patriots who, by this time, are a dynasty. And... You know, the Patriots had been suspected of a lot of things for a number of years. And so now they've been caught in this big scandal and the NFL has just brushed over it. And so while the NFL wants to move past it, nobody else wants to move past it. The fans of all of the 31 teams are like, this is a bunch of garbage. The owners and coaches of all the rest of the 31 teams are like, yeah, we are not happy with the way this has played out. Not at all. And, and the media is just sensing, you know, feeding off of all of this. And so they're interviewing coaches and players of other teams, going back to the 2000 Super Bowl with the Rams, you know, talking to people about all this type of stuff. What do you suspect happened? What do you know happened? Talking to former Patriots coaches about things that they know 
that have happened in the past. And it becomes a huge, huge story that at this point, the NFL can no longer control. And it continues to snowball to the point that Senator Arlen Specter wants to launch a Senate investigation <laughs> on the matter because they are not happy with how the NFL handled it and believe the NFL has conducted a huge cover-up and believes there is a conflict of interest because you have Roger Goodell, the commissioner, who is responsible for, dis for disciplining the Patriots while also ensuring that the league continues to make money, an obvious conflict of interest. And, and so this is the part where I actually find it gets really interesting, and I think you're leading it into it perfectly, is that there are these uh, purported videotapes that have to be turned over and that the NFL has possession of. And they have uh, what a, a commission, a committee, and the videotapes are taken into the NFL. And then, Kevin, the videotapes are destroyed. Um, can you just uh, can you just talk a little bit about you know what you were able to uncover as to why they were destroyed? Um, you know what went into all of that, and I think this is where it really starts to get interesting. Per your conversation of you know the NFL maybe covering up something, trying to get back to business as usual. Right. So the NFL sends a couple of executives um to the patriots headquarters and the patriots turn over their videotapes which i believe was like six or seven videotapes okay now keep in mind they've been involved in taping other teams all the way back to the preseason of 2000. we only got eight though we only got seven tapes kevin right <laughs> only seven okay yeah. in basically what is a more or less a hidden secret room that the patriots keep Okay, so they've got, you know, they've got their secret bat cave that, that, <laughs> that has seven tapes. Okay, yeah. so that didn't sit well with anybody either when it came out, right? Uh, but instead of bringing these tapes back to dissect, the executives watch, I don't know, you know, maybe an hour or two of these films and then go, okay, we're good. Yeah, we understand. You tape some signals. All right, we got a good idea what, come, what, uh, what happened. Now we're going to destroy these things. And, uh, that, and that's what they did. They didn't even bring it back to NFL headquarters. They destroyed him right there on site. Only two people to ever see him, um, an NFL lawyer and uh, an executive. And so what happens is it creates this big controversy after that. And as I mentioned, it goes, you know, starts up this, this threat of a Senate investigation. And at that point, Roger Goodell gets really spooked and starts going, you know what? We can't have this. We can't have a Senate investigation. There's only been one other time in history where a Senate investigation was threatened, and it was because of a gambling incident. And we ended up mm. with NFL security as a result of that. Basically, the NFL employing a bunch of former FBI guys to make sure that, that you know, games aren't tampered with. Um, and so now we're on to this is the second time this has ever happened. So it's a very big deal because you're talking about um, a, bunch of, a bunch of stuff coming out the NFL does not want to come out, right? And so Roger Goodell starts asking other coaches, hey, I want, I want statements from people and coaches and owners saying that the NFL handled this situation well, which coaches are like, no, you didn't. 
but we don't want to see a Senate investigation because it can impact our bottom line. So Mike Martz was one of those coaches who said, okay, I'll write a statement. And he writes one up. Okay. Now he later came out and said, you know what? The statement I provided was not the statement that the NFL published um, and gave to Engate. He said there was stuff in there that was fabricated. Okay. Furthermore, Senator Arlen Specter in his book he wrote said that I was approached by a good, by, by a colleague, a friend. And he offered me through a third party, um, a bunch of money. If I just dropped the entire matter, which left everybody wondering is the NFL trying to bribe a Senator. Maybe it was the NFL, maybe it's someone else. Right. But after what Mike Mart said, it left a lot, lot of questions out there as to what the NFL was willing to do to make the entire Spygate controversy simply go away. So they have these videotapes, and they have lawyers look at them. They don't have coaches or players. or I mean, we can all look at a video and say, hey, they're recording signals, but we don't know the depth of exactly what they're uh, acquiring, right? You know, sometimes you can record something and gain nothing. Sometimes with a skilled eye, you can look at something and say, I'm gathering a ton of information. And then they destroy them, um, and then they blame it on, we had to destroy them because of competitive advantage. And this is where I'm kind of getting at. The point I made at the beginning of the pod is, I feel like 2007, I feel like this moment was so impactful about how the NFL went about its business in the years moving forward. Where, you know, it's so interesting to hear you talk about Roger Goodell maybe being, you know, a little on edge or maybe them kind of, maybe, dare I say, I'm going to say it, scrambling a little bit to maybe try and cover this up and have this go away. But what ends up happening is, is it fair to say, Kevin, that it kind of provides a bit of a blueprint for how they go about these type of controversies moving forward in the years to come of... And, and here's my question for you is that, you know, what ends up happening, I feel like, is that Spygate comes out and that the, then all the fans and all the media, we react to that. And that is the story. But what eventually happens, and this happens in the NFL a lot, is that eventually we get to the point where the NFL distracts us from that story. And then when we begin to focus on how the NFL handles these situations and this, I feel like, is like that ground zero moment of that distracting moment of we care more about why did you destroy the videotapes? What is going on with this Senator? What is happening with this commission? Why is the NFL handling it this particular way? And I feel like that is something that continues to mark how they handle, you know, deflate gate, domestic violence, the Deshaun Watson situation. Eventually the NFL turns it into this thing where we begin to focus on how the NFL handles it and maybe not the actual thing itself. Do you feel like that that eventually happened with the Patriots spygate where we started caring less about Belichick spying and a little bit more about how Goodell and the NFL were or were not, you know, handling the situation? Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I mean, in the aftermath, the NFL realized they did a lot of things wrong, right? Yeah. Ultimately, all that happened was, Bill, you know, Goodell calls Belichick. Belichick says, here's what happened. That's the end of the investigation before the punishment's issued. Is literally one phone call, okay? That's not investigation, okay? 
we don't really Goodell really didn't have a firm understanding of how long this had gone on when he made his when he when he made uh, gave the punishment. He didn't understand that hey the Patriots had also been collecting on offensive signals that happened with Peyton Manning when he was with the Colts. Okay. Well, and Peyton so Peyton also Peyton also claimed that they were putting uh, ear they were putting uh, recording equipment in their locker room. He did, right? And this is just yeah. one of those other things that teams were very upset that the NFL didn't investigate Spygate in a more meaningful manner because there were, the Patriots were suspected of so many things, so many things. And I get into a lot of them in, in my book, Spies on the Sidelines. But yeah, everyone wanted to say, and you had coaches, you had former Patriots coaches anonymously telling people, taping signals wasn't even the thing that helped us the most. There was there were other stuff that was a lot bigger. Oh my <laughs> right? god. So it was it was, you know, and when the executives went to Foxborough and sat down and you know, they all they did was ask the Patriots personnel, a few of their key personnel, Belichick and um, Ernie Adams and a few others, hey, did uh did taping these plays, taping these signals help? And they said, uh, you know, very little, very little. And like, you know, they're the people to ask, you know, it, you know, it's like asking a guy, okay, so you did a crime, uh, but, um, you know, I know you stole some money. Did you steal a lot of money or did you steal a little money? Oh, I just stole a little. Oh, okay. All right. We, we, we just, we'll take your word for it. Um, you know, it's just silly. It's ridiculous. So it very much called into question how the whole NFL dealt with the issue and so yes in subs with subsequent controversies the nfl learned a lot of lessons from their their handling of spygate and said you know what we don't want the focus to be on how we deal with it we want we we want people to know that we are dealing with it in a responsible manner and um the nfl while the nfl would love to sweep all these controversies under the rug as fast as they can they realize that in today's news cycle where, you know, Deshaun Brown having a scandal in Houston, it does not stay in Houston. It is going to be worldwide within minutes. Mm -hmm. And so the league learned their lesson there. And so when it came to, let's say, Deflategate, which happened later, okay, they appointed one, a independent investigator uh, to handle it, um, who was a lawyer. They... Hide a, hired a company, Exponent, to go and research the scientific findings of whether the balls were deflated or not and how much and is it possible to do it via natural means versus deflating, right? And so <clears throat> they realized that, you know what, we need to do this. Um, not only we need to investigate it, but we need to remove ourselves, the NFL, from being the body that does the investigation to have an independent third party look at this so that people can't say, yes, NFL, you're just trying to cover things up. So there were a lot of lessons learned um, and, and it has been better. You know, I think we've seen with a lot of these scandals, it's still not perfect and still people are still like, you take the Sean Watson um, scandal and people still have like, yeah, okay. They look into it and you get the rulings and people are still like sick to their stomach. Cause you're going like, really, that's, that's what we're going to do. And that's it. And you know, the bottom line is a lot of people are still like, and it turns a lot of people off. And a lot of people are just like, you know what? I don't even want to watch the NFL. If this is, 
if this is how they're getting their take on it and all they're going to do, man, like it doesn't sit well. Um, but the NFL is in a, in, in a bad spot because you get a spot like Deshaun Watson or a deflate gate. These are not necessarily, these are not things that have been legally adjudicated. So to do these punishments without having a legal process, it's difficult and it's awkward for the NFL. And so, you know, they're doing the best they can, um, but it's, 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 it's hard. And they're in a, a very, you know, tough spot. Well, and especially uh, just, you know, as a, as a novice, you know, just a person in the world, you know, you feel like a lot of times in terms of legality and law, you, you deal a lot on precedent. And as you mentioned, if you can't have um, in a court of law, if there isn't an actual conviction or a prosecution of a particular crime, the NFL kind of just is in the dark, right? Where you're given Ray Rice two games, you're given Tom Brady four games, and and we can all um, disagree with the severity or lack thereof in both those cases in terms of punishment, but they try and learn as they go along. You know, with the Deshaun Watson situation, you know, unfortunately, I'm in the camp of he should have been gone for the whole year, right? I think there's people in a camp that said he should never play football again. Um, I know people that are uh, Cleveland Browns fans who are literally lifelong Cleveland Browns fans that are saying, I'm taking my fandom off until he's gone. I mean, so everyone has a wild different opinion. So I can understand that it's a little tough for the NFL in that regard. Um, and just to go back to Deflategate, I mean, so you're in your opinion – you know, they, they, that the NFL really did try and do the best that it could to distance itself um, because I know that there is a riding narrative that, you know, sometimes um, where there's smoke, there's fire. This isn't the first time the Patriots have been caught up in a situation that seemed to be skirting a rule of some kind that no one else really knew about. And a lot of people felt like Goodell went after Tom Brady. And a lot of people felt like that that suspension was a little heavy-handed based on a previous bias of indiscretion by the Patriots. Um, from what, what your findings are, did they really try and do the best they can to keep it, to keep church and state separate, or, or did it ever bleed together? Well, you know, I mean, the, the NFL certainly looked at the matter in an impartial way, right? I've already talked about. But you got to keep in mind, so after Spygate, what Belichick had talked to Roger Goodell about was, hey, okay, yeah. Um, let me issue a statement that says, hey, I understand, you know, what I did was, you know, it was it was bad. I made a mistake. I misunderstood. I misinterpreted the rules, which is a memo. Um, <clears throat> but that never happened. OK, like the, the Patriots never offered up any condolences other than. Kraft went to made a statement in front uh, at an NFL meeting in front of the other owners and said, Hey, you know, I'm sorry about this. I feel really bad. And he was all teary eyed and everybody bought it. Okay. Everybody's like, Oh man, you know, maybe, you know, okay. You know, all right, we got it. Well, a few days after that Kraft gives, um, Belichick a, an early extension on his contract a year before his contract's even done. And extends him to a huge raise. And, and this is, you know, weeks after Spygate's happened. And everybody's just like, wait, like, he was the guy crying. And now he's the guy basically saying, yeah, I don't care the NFL find you. Here's a huge pay raise. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, so when, when, when Deflategate happens, 
all of this is in Goodell's memory. Like, okay, yeah, you say you're going to apologize. You don't, okay? You know, Kraft, you say you're really sorry about everything, but that looks like a bunch of garbage. So, um, so when they find evidence that, yes, the Patriots uh, did end up, you know, were involved in deflating footballs, um, I'm sure Roger Goodell was more than happy to hand out a nice, firm punishment. Having said that, um, you know, Tom Brady, you know, Tom Brady fought for his innocence almost all the way to the Supreme Court. He went to two appellate courts. Wow. Okay. To, to fight for his innocence. And both of them said, uh, yeah, that's nice, but it doesn't look like you're innocent. Okay. And if you look at the text that came out between a couple of, uh, Patriots, um, equipment personnel, it's pretty damning what went on. Okay. Like it's pretty clear that he liked the balls a certain way. He liked the balls he, a certain he, way. Yeah. He liked he had yep. a certain way and yeah. And they were going to deflate him, and that uh, one of the members got, um, I believe it was like shoes. He, he got some signed items, you know, so shoes and I think a football that were signed from Tom Brady um, in return for being the deflator. And, and he wasn't, he didn't like his role. Okay. He didn't like it. He was very nervous about it all. He was like, this is, you know, um, he got talked into it. And so, you know, and the NFL did their investigation. They found that yes, indeed, you know, this employee was compensated with these items that signed by Tom Brady for doing this. And there really wasn't a lot of doubt in anybody's mind other than Patriots fans and the Patriots who, you know, all said, this is garbage. You know, you know, we weren't involved in doing this, you know, Tom Brady, you know, but you know, the thing with Tom Brady was he couldn't turn over his phone to show his texts um, because he said, you know, I destroyed my cell phone as a routine, routine security precaution, which sounded like, you know, a, you know, maybe it does, but it sounded like a bunch of garbage to a lot of people. Well, you know? and, and Kevin, if I can counter with that, though, of all the things that happened in that scenario, um, I completely agree with Tom Brady on that. Um, and honestly, like if if for whatever reason, tangentially. You know, Tom Brady is a person who is a huge public figure. But I think anyone as and even let's go back to private citizen laws, you know, having to turn over your cell phone or your private computer with all of this other information on it just to find this one piece of information. I'm kind of with Tom on that one. I would have said I would have said screw off NFL. And and if they were like, well, we're taking it anyways, you I I maybe would have destroyed my phone, too. Uh, And and the NFL doesn't have a right. Right. This is not a criminal trial. They can ask for it. They can, they can take that into, as a deciding factor when weighing in a punishment of are you willing to turn it over, right? But sure. yes, Tom Brady has no obligation to turn over his cell phone. And he is not the first person to say, I don't care what you want, NFL. I'm not doing it. You know, mm-hmm. Paul Horning, who is known as the golden boy, right, back in the day, an NFL great, Hall of Famer, all this kind of stuff. Well, when it came to a big, spy, a big uh, gambling scandal, and he admitted, yes, I did, I did bet um, on games. Well, the NFL asked him to take a lie detector test at one point, and he did the same thing. I don't care what you want, NFL. I am not taking your lie detector test, okay? So this isn't the first time teams have gone to that. But, you know, um, 
Yeah, but in the end, I think with you know with all the tests, uh, with the text that went on, with the um, with the person who was in potentially allegedly involved in deflating the footballs when he took them out of the referee's locker room and then was questioned by NFL security, he said, did you bring them straight out onto the field? He said, yes, I did. And then there's videotape of him going into <laughs> a bathroom. Totally not doing that. <laughs> right, and he didn't do that. You know, there's just two, there's so many um, circumstantial, you know, so much circumstantial <laughs> evidence like that leads everyone to believe, yeah, this is a bunch of garbage. Like, yes, you did this. Uh, oh, that's right, I did, I stopped, I did oh, stop. I yeah. stopped for a pack of gum. That's right, I did, <laughs> I did stop for a pack of gum. Um, final question here for uh, Kevin Bryant here on Bet on Chicago. His book is called Spies on the Sidelines, the High Stakes World of NFL Espionage. And, and Kevin, my final one for you is, and I, and I think if this was a court proceeding, to the judge and the jury right here, I think this might be the piece of evidence that maybe puts the nail in the coffin of, of the Patriots Spygate saga scandal, whatever you want to call it, is that as, we, as you illustrated throughout the pod, uh, they asked Bill Belichick, and he said, yeah, we kind of did it, didn't really help. Former coaches, yeah, well, you know, that piece of information, you know, sure we did it, but you know what, we never really deployed it in a game, didn't really yeah. work, on and on and so forth. Kevin, what happens the very next year? They put defensive headsets into the defensive players, and they get rid of signals across the NFL. Yeah. Just talk about that is. Is that is that all you really need to know in terms of how prevalent this was, how big of a problem it probably either was at the time or was going to become in the foreseeing years of the NFL? So this is, I think, one of the most interesting things. So, yes, I mean, clearly, but there were other allegations when Spygate came out, right? And one of those one of those areas and something that was actually even mentioned in the media at the time was at when Spygate initially happened was the number of um, was like the signals emissions from the game itself at the Jets, which made everyone question, well, potentially, was there an alternate headset frequency being used by the Patriots, okay, during the game? Why is that important, okay? Because the NFL monitors the headsets and there is a 15 second cutoff between communication with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. And if you have a alternate communications channel, right, then potentially you can talk to the quarterback all the way leading up to the play and even wow. through the play. Okay. Wow. Which, okay. So this comes out and this is something that you don't hear anything after, after this initial um, statement that comes out in the press, right? But um, you have that. You also have Drew Brees. Um, believe it was, no, wait, not Drew Brees. Um, uh, Doug Flutie. There we go. Hmm. You have Doug Flutie, who at one point made a statement to the press that basically said, um, more or less, I picked up um, Tom Brady's helmet thinking it was my own, okay? Think, but you know, but there's always a, you know, there's that backup quarterback headset that can listen into everything that's going on the field. He picked out, he picked up what he thought was the backup one, which ended up being Tom Brady's headset. Okay. And Tom, what he said, he was amazed to hear was that allegedly, okay, this all came out in a, in a, this, in a, in a show later, um, was that 
he could hear past that 15-second cutoff mark in Tom Brady's helmet. Now, ever since then, people had tried to interview Doug, uh, Doug Flutie saying, hey, did this really happen? Is this legit? Was this what you said? Well, Doug Flutie would never talk about it ever again. Never. Okay? But you have the NFL then the following year saying – like, okay, we're going to – not only are we going to implement defensive – allow defensive communications between a defensive player and the defensive coordinator, showing that, yes, obviously it did have an impact and a substantial impact, right? But furthermore, the NFL after that said, we are going to start monitoring the headset communications that go on. So while the NFL never admitted that anything ever happened with potentially an alternate channel, the NFL at that point said, we ultimately, we are going to monitor to make sure that no alternate channels can be used um, because of this. And so it left a lot of questions. And this is just w another instance of why a full scale, what the heck are the Patriots really up to investigation needed to take place because there were a lot of things, you know, that they were suspected of doing. Using um, a listening device in the locker room. As Patriot, as, as uh, Peyton Manning mentioned all the way up to last year, which he suspected of happening. And, you know, mon of players being mic'd up to be able to listen to stuff during the games. Interesting. And able to overhear like audibles that a team yep. was be able to call of using a high powered microphone from the video, from a videotape, uh, a video recorder all the way onto the field, you know, basically a parabolic mic to be able to hear what a quarterback is able to say. These are all things that the Patriots had been suspected of doing that everybody was like, yes, the NFL is going to look into all of this. And the NFL just said, yeah, uh, no, we want this to go away as quickly as possible. And we're going to resolve this on one phone call, you know, of, Hey, Belichick, what did you do? Okay. Thanks. Good. Uh, we're done. Check. Well, it, and is it possible that, uh, and, and one more for you, because there's, there's stories like this in the NFL, you know, um, when Jared Goff and the Rams went to the Super Bowl, there was a rumor that, uh, McVay was able to stay in Goff's ear somehow longer than that 15 second cutoff and was helping him with pre-read and pre-snap checks, and Goff had his best season as a pro, and something happened, and then he never was able to have that same success with the exact same coach and the exact same offense ever again. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons, they've been fined for piping in too much crowd music uh, when the opposing team is on offense. It seems like that I'm not out of bounds by saying that technology is the new battleground of espionage in the NFL. It's the new frontier moving forward. Is it also fair to say that there's maybe just so much ground to cover that the NFL can't wrap its arms around every single little thing and every new techn technological advance and every single single advantage that these NFL teams now deploy? When you're talking about parabolic mics on the field, is it so much for the NFL to handle that maybe they just try and just you know keep the rig on the road a little bit instead of maybe trying to come up with some sort of bylines that keeps all this in check? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you're right. Technology is playing more and more of a prevalent role when it comes to, um, you know, spying in the NFL. Having said that, you know, traditional mechanisms like spying on practices, or they're always going to, they're all, they're always going to be around. Um, 
But certainly, yeah, when you're talking about headsets, um, there's a lot of different ways they can be uh, potentially exploited. So the NFL is using today, um, and they're using military-grade encryption on these headsets, okay? So if you're talking about take, tapping into another team's headsets, it becomes very problematic. And some people will just say flat out, and the NFL will say, you know, hey, it can't be done. This stuff's just too good, okay? Well, one I will say, you know, this, there are billions of dollars at stake, not just for the NFL, but for teams. So do teams and do owners have an incentive to win and to win using whatever means are out there? Yes, they do. Are there people out there in the civilian world that know how to use and defeat, you know, potentially military grade encryption? Well, you know, tough question to answer. I won't go into all that, but certainly the incentive is out there, right? Okay, so, and then you have things like, okay, even if, even if it is military grade encryption, what are these things? How are they ultimately protected? Okay, well, it comes down to a password because that is all it takes to be able to tap in and to listen into ultimately a frequency that a team is using. Okay, now it's hard to figure out what it all is, what, what's the frequency and what's the password, that got, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, though, if you can get your hands on the password and the frequency that's going to be used, you've got the keys to the kingdom to be able to listen in on what another team is doing. And while that may sound really, com you know, really complex, one thing that the Patriots were suspected of doing and that an, an anonymous, anonymous Patriot coaches admit and say this was the thing that was the most helpful to the Patriots during the Spygate era was sneaking in a, an, an employee into opponents' locker rooms and getting a hold of their play sheets which basically say here are the first 10 or 15 plays yep. that are going to be used in a game, which in and of itself is a huge advantage. But if you can sneak in and get those play sheets, what else can you sneak in and get paperwork wise? Can you sneak in and get, Hey, here's the frequency that's going to be used. And here is our password that is going to be used. Okay. Because one of the things that the Patriots are very um, highly suspected of doing is tampering with opponents' headsets especially at Gillette Stadium, okay? Whether that is piping in noise to it, whether it's just having it cut off, uh, this is something that the Patriots have long been suspected of, of doing. And so how do they do that? Everyone's going, well, you can't do it. They've got military-grade encryption. It's impossible to do. Well, if you're, if you're managing to figure out everything else with a headset, it's not impossible. It's pretty darn easy, and, um, and off we go. So, you know, and then of course you, you know, like you said with, you know, the suspicions with Jared Goff and, um, and then obviously the suspicions that went in, you know, with it, the, our Tom Brady and the Patriots doing this. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big fear and it has, um, the NFL does what they can. They, they hire an outside company to, um, to monitor, um, you know, headset use and the whole, um, signal spectrum at games to ensure that teams can't um, block other teams' signals and that there are only, you know, that only the, the prescribed um, frequencies are used at games. But, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And, um, and there are, just like the professionals to detect this stuff, 
there are professionals out there to exploit this stuff and to be able to do it. And so it's a big cat and mouse game that, you know, for me, it's a lot of fun and I love it and I love reading about it. And it's, you know, like a whole nother side to the NFL. Um, but it does call, call into question at times, you know, how legitimate are games and how fair is the playing field? Um, because all of this is potentially taking place behind the scenes. The date was September 9th, 2007, when it was made to the public that the New England Patriots were taping uh, opponents' practices. We called it Spygate. The saga has gone on, and it now is a 15-year anniversary. And, Kevin, I have a feeling that the, the saga is going to continue uh, in the near future, which is all the more reason for my audience to go out and get Kevin Bryant's book, Spies on the Sidelines, the high-stakes world of NFL espionage. If you want to learn what goes on behind closed doors a little bit about how some of these teams uh, earn reputations, get advantages, and sometimes, you know, honestly, what it takes to what it what will you do to win a football game what will you do to succeed in sports this is the perfect book to pick up and it is definitely a must read kevin man thank you so much for coming back on the pod uh this was awesome uh i, I learned a lot not just about what's happening then but i think what's happening now and it's going to be happening in the future so I, I appreciate you so much for coming back and taking the time if you can uh toss out your socials for my audience um you know uh plug the book again uh it's a fantastic read man I'm, I'm super excited for your success and uh i have a feeling maybe there may be another book coming in a couple of years we'll see we'll, you, you never know what happens but you have your finger on the pulse of it and i appreciate it yeah thanks joey so yeah the plan is to get another book out there same subject but on co on college football um, so that's, that's, okay. that's the plan that's what i'm working on it's about three quarters of the way through the first rough draft um <laughs> So for, for Spies on the Sidelines, you can go to my website, spiesonthesidelines.com. Uh, you can, you can, it's got, I've got every, every, all the ways you can get the book there. It is out on hardcover, uh, ebook, and audiobook as well. Um, it is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Walmart, online through any of those places. Um, I've got all my social media handles um, on my website. I'll give out my Twitter one because I know that's what everyone loves to follow. It's at Kev, K-E-V, Bryant Author. So at Kev Bryant Author. And um, yeah, if you, if you give me a follow, I'll let you know when I got big stuff coming up. I try to, you know, put stuff out when there are new spying scandals that are out there on my social media. Obviously, when the new book comes out, I'm hyping up on my social media pages. Um, like that so that's great i've also got a 30 percent discount code for the hardcover book if you buy it through the publisher on my website so that's a great way to hook it up and the last thing i'll say is that the audiobook is like half the price or less of either the ebook or the regular book so that's a great way if you're looking to save a few bucks to go and and pick it up and give it a listen so many ways to check out a fantastic book. Congratulations, Kevin. Uh, we're taping this on a Saturday, but week one of the NFL season is at our doorstep. Some people are probably going to be listening to this after they've ingested a day of games. It's going to be a long season, man. And, uh, yeah, who knows what's going to happen. The NFL, uh, we can count on one thing. There's going to be some storylines. Thanks so much for coming back. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Joey. Appreciate it. Today's episode of Bet on uh, Today's episode of Bet on Chicago was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Fifty percent welcome bonus when you use promo code Believe five zero B L E A V five zero to get that fifty percent welcome bonus. Thanks so much for checking out this pod. We got plenty more stuff coming the rest of the week. Till then, be be well, be safe. Please be good to each other, and remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.